going to take a special moment with the children who are here in person and those who are joining us online. If you'll come a little bit closer to your screens. I bet you know what this is. That's a heart. And what does a heart make you think of? It makes me think of love. Our heart, actually, in our body is, is about here. This is obviously a lot bigger than my real heart. The real heart's about the size of a fist, I think, if we ask some of our doctors and nurses. But if you think about what the heart does for us, it sends out blood all through our bodies. I don't know how many times a minute, but it pumps all through our bodies and comes right back to the heart and goes back out again. And our blood carries oxygen and vitamins and nutrients and all sorts of things to keep our bodies healthy and strong. In a way, it makes sense that we think about love when we think of the heart. Because love is meant to be shared. And love comes from the heart of God, and it goes all the way out to all the people and all of creation. And then it comes back to God when we love God back, and it just circulates and keeps going and going. And we're supposed to share love like our hearts share blood with our bodies. We let it flow from us. And the more we share, the more we get back in return. Love is a circle that knows no bounds. The more you give, the more comes around. Love is ours, alone to give. It lives in us. It's beautiful. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of love that you share with us and that you call us to share with other people. Stay close in our hearts and may the love that we share come from your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Okay, there's a little part of me that wants to apologize to you graduating seniors because my sermon this morning is a little odd because I want to talk about blood. Now, blood is not something that we talk about a whole lot in church. If you're like me, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Makes me think about, uh, about hurt and, and violence and things that happen that are bad. And I have to say, even though we sing about blood sometimes in the church and we, we talk about the blood of Christ when we lift up the communion cup, it's not something we dwell on very much these days. When I was in seminary, for some reason, all of my closest friends in seminary were Baptists. I went to Emory, which is a United Methodist seminary, in the mid-90s, and during those years, a lot of Southern Baptists were sort of displaced and trying to find their way in schools uh, to go to that might fit them better theologically. And so I had this group of friends who came out of the Southern Baptist tradition. And I remember one night we had all had dinner together and we were sitting around the table and some of them started singing old hymns. And I knew a lot of these old hymns, mostly from my family camp meeting. But then they started singing hymns that, that I didn't know or I hadn't grown up singing. There's a fountain filled with blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Are you washed in the blood? 
Now, some of those are in our Methodist hymnal, but for whatever reason, they weren't songs that we had sung in my church growing up. And it made me realize that, that in my tradition, we'd moved away from some of that language. And there are theological reasons for that, and if we had time this morning, I'd want to delve into those a little more deeply. But maybe we could do that in a smaller setting in, in Bible study or something like that. But for much of my life, much of my faith journey, it's not an image I've explored very much or felt fed by, really. But then I came across these verses in the first letter of John that we just heard Don read for us. And there, the letter writer, whom we'll call John, even though we don't really know his name, is emphasizing how important it is that we remember Jesus came through water and blood. Not just water, but also the blood. And so what is it that John is trying to teach? What is it he's trying to say? And how can we, as followers of Jesus in the 21st century, be blessed by this image of not just the water, but also the blood. Well, first I want to say what I think possibly John might be up to in his letter. If you were with me last week, you may remember, I talked about how the churches that John was writing to were a little confused. They had been started and founded on the faith that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was the Son of God, that the way of life, the way of love that he lived was an example for all of us. And that because of him, we are included in God's great love and called to love one another. But somewhere along the way, there were other teachers who came along into these churches and started teaching different kinds of doctrines, one of which was that Jesus was fully divine, but not quite fully human. This would be the Gnostic faith, if you want to do a little more research. The idea that, that God didn't become fully human, God didn't really die, just sort of pretended to die, and then to show up again as resurrected. That somehow, for these Gnostic teachers, it was too much to think about God being a suffering God or God being a God who is vulnerable and suffers as we do. But John and so many other teachers in the New Testament made it absolutely clear that Jesus was fully human. He had to be fully human. He embodied a human body. He suffered and he died. He bled and he died and he was dead for three days. Because if that's not true, then when we suffer, when we as human beings go through trials and when we are hurt and oppressed and even when we die, then God is not fully with us in those experiences. Then our human experience hasn't been fully redeemed. And so John says, yes, Jesus came not just with the waters of baptism, but with blood. He suffered as we suffer. He was oppressed as we are oppressed so that we can know that no matter what we go through in this life, whatever struggles lie ahead for us, God is with us. There is no place where God will not already be there. Not only to be with us, 
but to redeem what we're going through and to heal us and bring us through. So John really wants his people to understand. Jesus came through water and the blood. I also wonder if there's some blessing that comes to us when we lift up this cup every time we gather at the table and we say Jesus' words, this is my blood poured out for you. If we think about blood as life, as I shared with the children, that the blood flows through our body how many ever to five or six quarts per minute, giving us life, taking healing throughout our bodies. Someone in Bible study shared that if you donate a pint of blood, over time it gets replenished. There's plenty, there is enough to go around. There's not a scarcity of blood in our bodies or in our lives. Now you have to take a few minutes and eat some cookies and drink some juice and wait a little while before you donate again. But our body already starts to to remanufacture more blood. And when we give that blood away, we don't know who gets it. We don't get to decide who deserves it. It may be a total stranger across the country. It may be somebody we wouldn't necessarily like if we met them. But we give it freely. It is life and love freely given. And is that not who Christ is for us? Christ's life is offered to us. And when we come to this table, we take his life into our lives. And it fills us and heals us and gives us energy and purpose and love to share. Love that will never run out of supply. So I'm grateful to this writer of this love letter that he reminded me that Jesus came in water and in blood to give us all life, to love us all with his life and invite us to share that life with others, knowing and trusting and believing that God's love will never, ever run out. Amen.